In 2002, I was tasked with being a church planter, starting a brand new church in Hernando. And I'd never read a church planting book. I had never uh, taken a church planting class. And so I went to the bookstore and bought a book called Planting Growing Churches by Aubrey Malfers. And that book uh, divided church planting into four different stages. The conception stage, the birth stage, the growth stage, the maturity stage. And it helps you think through the different stages of church planting. And what was helpful to me is at the end of each stage, end of each chapter, it had a checklist. Like, if you're in this stage, these are the things you need to have done. So I went to stage number one, the conception stage. I went to the checklist, and I said, what do I need to do? And one of the things was, do you have a logo? I said, well, we need a logo. And so uh, I heard there's a lady in our sponsoring church that did a little design work, and so I called her up, and I think I paid her $75. The church paid her $75, and she designed... Uh, five different logos, and uh, I chose one. And that's been our logo now for 13 years, and it's, it's served us well. We got our money's worth, right? We got our money's worth from that logo. But we felt like uh, th- earlier this year that we really needed to uh, have a new updated logo which, which better communicated who we are as a church and the direction we're headed and helped us to think through our vision. So we've been working with the company through a logo redesign you saw the video. Uh, this is our new uh, logo. You see it there up on the screen, Long Viewpoint Baptist Church. That's our official logo. A couple things about it. First of all, notice uh, that it's purple. Now, you'll see the logo in other colors, but purple is the official color because purple is the color of royalty. And it reminds us that we are to be about the kingdom, about kingdom advance, living for the glory of the king. And so that's the official color, and, and you see the cross right there in the middle of the icon on the side, which ties in with our former logo, which had a cross on it as well. And so uh, we're just excited about how it came out and, and how it's going to help us communicate uh, who we are. So that's the official logo. You'll see it on the church signs. You're going to start seeing everything um, moved over to the new logo, website, uh, letterhead, church signs. You'll, you'll see this official logo uh, everywhere. Uh, but also, we asked the, the folks that were designing the logo for us to give it to us in a different form because we often use the, the term, the point, around here. As a matter of fact, in, again, in 2002, I was in Wayne Marshall's kitchen, and we were talking about the new church and, and what it's going to be about, and we began to talk about the name of the church. And Brother Wayne, pastor of Longview Heights, our sponsoring church, said, you know, I thought about the name. I really like the name Longview Point. Ties us together, but it's, it's a different work down there in Hernando. Longview Point Baptist Church. He said, you know, for short, people could just call you The Point. I said, I kind of like that. And so that's what we went with, Longview Point Baptist Church. It's a, it's a longer church name, but for short, around here, we call ourselves The Point. We say, welcome to The Point. Glad you came to The Point. Would you come and visit with us at The Point? We use that phrase. And so we asked the company that we're working with to show us the logo with just the phrase, the point. So look at it there on the screen. Notice the icon drops it right there where the O is. And I thought it came out really cool. I thought that looked good. And, and so that's the way we'll use the logo when we just call ourselves uh, the point. So the first one is our official logo as a church. And that's the way we'll use ourselves when we're branding ourselves. Uh, that's the logo we'll use when we're branding ourselves as the point. Now, next Sunday, uh, back in this glass lobby, there's going to be some, some things uh, for you to buy, some merchandise for you to buy, some t-shirts. I think we've got long sleeve, short sleeve, got some caps and some visors and some coffee mugs and some travel mugs and some fleeces and some different things with the, with the point logo on there. 
And we're just selling them for cost. What we, what we paid for them is what we're selling them for. And so next week, just go through there and maybe get a few things. And as you're out and about in the community, in your, in your home, in your neighborhood, and, and people maybe notice that new logo, it's a chance for you to say, hey, we have a new logo as a church, and, and this is what it means. And you can communicate to them what our church is all about. So you can help us have, do a little free publicity by just grab, grabbing some things and wearing them out and about through your normal routines of life. So we are excited about our new logo. But remember, it's, it, it's, it's about our vision. It's about who we are as a church. That's why I've been walking you through this vision series titled, The King and His Kingdom. And we've been working through those four components that you see in the logo, the four different pieces on the outside of the cross. Those, those represent the four components of our kingdom vision. Kingdom uh, citizenship, kingdom families, kingdom connections. And then this week we're going to talk about kingdom advance. And then next week, which will be the final week of our sermon series, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the center of who we are, the center of all that we do. And so let's talk this morning about kingdom advance, what it means to advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. So look there with me in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. That's where we will begin. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. This is Paul writing to the Christians who were in the city of Thessalonica. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Or it can be translated, advance rapidly. It's what the word means. Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So Paul saying to the church of Thessalonica, you heard the gospel, you were saved, would you pray that the gospel would spread and advance so other people can hear the gospel and be saved just like you were. This, this verse speaks of rapid advance. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and we are so grateful, Lord, for the privilege of corporate worship. Lord, you allow us to, to gather together as a as a faith family, and to sing praises to your name, and to study your word, and to, Lord, to hear you speak to us. And God, I pray that in this time of Bible study, you would, by your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see the truths of Scripture, and, and give us the wherewithal to obey what we learn, to adjust our lives to what we learn. And, and, and Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would change the trajectories of our lives today, that we would Lord, leave this, this building today, um, Lord, surrendered to you, following Jesus wherever he leads. And we'll thank you for that grace. Holy Spirit of God, would you anoint me as I preach, I'm desperate for your help and your power. Holy Spirit of God, would you anoint the hearers as the word goes forth, that we might respond to what you're saying. And in these moments, would you grant us the grace to lift high the name of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For it's in his name that we pray. 
Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The Lord God, through His Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for His own glory. I heard that phrase when I was in intermediate Greek in seminary. Dr. Kendall easily shared that, and it really captured my heart because it encapsulates so well the story of the Bible. What's the Bible about? Well, the Bible tells us the story of the Lord God, through His Christ, graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. And not only is that the story of the Bible, it's the story of human history. It's what God is doing in the world. The Lord God, through his Christ, is graciously building a kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. So, if that's what God's all about, if God's building a kingdom, that's what I want to be about. That's what I want our church to be about. To be an instrument in God's hands as he graciously expands this kingdom of redeemed people for his own glory. And for that to happen, we must be a church that is focused on kingdom advance. How do we see the kingdom spread and grow and reach the ends of the earth? Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three components of kingdom advance. Three components of kingdom advance that help us understand this task. Number one, I want you to see the mandate. The mandate. If you can turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 28. We dealt with this passage last week, but I want to just remind you of the commission of Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave, and right before he ascended back to the Father to sit at his right hand, He gave this commission to his disciples. And notice what it says there in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So the the driving central command of this commission is make disciples of all nations. We are to introduce people to Christ by sharing the gospel so they can come into the kingdom of God. And then we teach them the commands of Christ so they can grow in their faith to the point where they are reaching out to others as well. And they are making disciples. That's what the Great Commission is all about. But notice the scope of the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Now, the the Greek word there translated nations is the word ethne. It's where we get the word ethnicity from. And it does not... It does not speak of geopolitical entities like Belgium or France or Nigeria or the United States of America. It speaks of of people groups, ethnic groups of people. And so we are to, to, to make disciples of all the people groups on the earth. That is our clear and non-negotiable mandate. We are to make disciples of every people group, not just geopolitical entity, but every people group within those borders. So, for example, we have a team right now in Southeast Asia, and they're in a certain country in that part of the world, and they are working with two different groups of people, two different people groups within that nation. One is called the Intha people group, and one is called the Pao people group. And they're seeking to make an impact in, in both of those people groups. And so within one nation, there are two and many other people groups within this nation. We're focusing on two uh, on this short-term trip that our group is on right now. So you say, wait, what is a people group specifically? Here's what a people group is. 
a people group is a group of people that are bound together and distinguished from others by language, culture, and customs. A people group is a group of people that are bound together and distinguished from others by language, culture, and customs. That's the, that's the simplest definition I could give you of a people group. And you say, Wade, well, uh, our job is to make disciples, to share the gospel so folks can become followers of Christ in every people group, not just every geopolitical nation, but every people group on the face of the earth. How are we doing? If that's our task, and that's the scorecard, how are we doing? How's the church doing in making disciples of all the people groups on the face of the earth? Let me give you some numbers that help you to understand the work that we have before us. Let me give you, first of all, the total number of people groups in the world. Groups of people bound together by language, culture, and custom, distinguished from other groups. The total number of people groups in the world is 11,483. Different uh, organizations give you a different number, but they're all close to this number. 11,483 total people groups in the world. So the population of our world is over 7 billion people. And those 7 billion people uh, fall into one of the 11,483 people groups on this earth. So that's one number to consider. Now here's the second number. I want to give you the number of unreached people groups. That means a group of people that have less than 2% of their population uh, as evangelical Christians. In other words, there are less than 2% in this people group that, that name the name of Christ, believe the word of God, would say that they are born again. So less than 2%. Uh, in this people group, makes this people group an unreached people group. How many unreached people groups are there in our world? Well, here's the number. 6,795 people groups are unreached. Less than 2% of their population is evangelical. Evangelical Christians. 6,795. Now, the population of those 6,000 plus people groups is 4,140,000,000. 19,180. That's a lot of people. So over 4 billion people in our world live in a people group that is considered unreached. Very little access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news we talk about every Sunday, over 4 billion people live in a people group that has very little access to the good news because less than 2% of the population know Christ and are even seeking to share the good news. But there's another number I want to give you. We've talked about total people groups and unreached people groups. The third number is this. I want to share with you unengaged unreached people groups. And by unengaged unreached people groups, I mean a group of people bound together by language, culture, and custom, and there are no known believers trying to get the gospel to them. In other words, these are groups of people that have no access to the gospel. Now, the very fact that we're talking about this should be disturbing. That there are people in our world with no access to the gospel. How many unengaged, unreached people groups are there? Here's the number, 3,114. Unengaged, unreached people groups for a population of 202,217,195. So over 200 million people are living in a people group with no access to the good news. And, And to kind of drive that reality home, that means that if these people die in that condition, 
separated from Christ, separated from God because they have not heard the gospel, they will go to hell and spend eternity there. Separated from God in conscious torment, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Over 200 million have never even heard the name of Jesus. Think about that. Over 3,000 people groups. There's no one trying to reach them. No one. We need to let that, that weight settle on us. Now, I know statistics are statistics. And I know that you can hear statistics and not be moved by those. And here's how I know that, because I was once where you were listening to a bunch of statistics. In seminary, when I first got to seminary, my, uh, my seminary would bring in missionaries every so often to speak in chapel. And I remember, you know, I, was, you know, I was new to this thing, and I would sit in chapel, and a missionary would come in, and they would share passionately, with tears in their eyes, these statistics of the cities they were trying to reach or the people groups they are trying to reach. And they would just, just give you all these different statistics. And I, I, I even remember kind of tuning them out, like, okay, that's their thing, that's where they are, those are their statistics, and, you know... Uh, I didn't really take those statistics to heart. They were just numbers. But I remember the first time I really felt the weight of lostness. I was in Paris, France, leading a short-term team. Some of you in this room were there with me. and We went to Sakakura, an old, beautiful cathedral. And we came out of that cathedral, and the folks that were leading us in that tour of Paris, the Perkins, asked us to sit on the steps outside of that cathedral. And it was just a beautiful vista of, of Paris laid out before you. It was just a beautiful, beautiful setting. And they asked us to sit there on those steps and pray for the people of Paris. And I began to think about a city of 22 million people. Just as far as you could see, buildings. And I began to think about how few of those people were believers in Jesus Christ. And how many of those people had never heard the gospel clearly explained to them. And all I can tell you is at that moment, those statistics became real. And for the first time in my life, I felt the weight of lostness. First time I went to Toronto, Canada, leading a short-term team working with a church plant in that city of 7 million people in the greater Toronto area. I'll never forget driving blocks and blocks and blocks and never seeing any evangelical church buildings. And, 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 And Toronto was just exploding with growth, it still is. And you would go by these subdivisions and, and literally as far as you could see, there would be rooftops and the houses would be that close together and you would see the, the lines of roofs just as far as you could see. And you, you knew that, that hardly any of those folks knew Christ. There were not even any churches there really trying to reach them. And I felt the weight of lostness. And I've had that experience at different times in different places. But listen to me, don't let these statistics just kind of roll over your mind without capturing your heart. These numbers represent men and women and boys and girls. Husbands and wives, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews. These numbers represent people just like you and just like me. 
but people that have very little to no access to the good news, that do not know that God loves them, that do not know that he sent his only son to die on the cross for their sins. They don't, they've, never, they've never heard it. They've never heard it. And so our mandate is clear. Make disciples of all the people groups on the earth. We've got some work to do, don't we? We've got some work to do. And so we need to understand that mandate. Our job is not done until there are disciples, believers in Christ, who have heard and responded to the gospel in every people group on the face of this planet. But here's the second thing I want you to think about as we think about kingdom advance. We've talked about the mandate. Now I want to just say a word about the method. Now we talked at length about this last week. And so I won't go into all that I went into last week. Listen to that sermon if you weren't here last week about kingdom connections. But I do want to make a few, a few comments about our method of making disciples. How do we do this? How do we advance the kingdom? How do we see that there are disciples in every people group on the face of this earth? Well, let me give you two things. Number one, discover your specific assignment. Discover your specific assignment. Now, the Great Commission is for everyone. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So wait, that was just for his disciples, right? Because he's on the mountain. He has his 11 disciples there. Judas had died and he's with them and he's given the, the commission to them. So it's not for me, it's for the disciples. Well, do you remember what he told them? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Then he said teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, which would include that command to make disciples, right? So the Great Commission is for everyone, every one of us in this room. If you have named the name of Christ, the Great Commission is for you. Now, under the umbrella of the Great Commission, our job is to discover our specific assignment. How does God want to use our lives to advance His kingdom? Well, let me give you three questions about your specific assignment. There's a lot more we can say about this, but I want to give you three questions to help you to begin to think through this. And, and this week or, or next Sunday in your Connect group, you'll be talking about this sermon. And I hope you have some really good dialogue about these three questions. I hope God does a work in, in some lives this week as the Spirit of God begins to show you some things and reveal some things in your life. But these are three specific questions that can help us to understand our specific assignment under the umbrella, the overarching command to make disciples of all the people groups. Here's the first question. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? It's a question of vocation or calling. What is God calling you to do in your life? Now the answer may be, he's calling you to be uh, in full-time vocational ministry. God called me to do that. He called me to preach the gospel, called me to pastor a local church, and that is very clear in my life. I know that I'm doing exactly what God wanted me to do. So he may be calling you to be a pastor. He may be calling you to be on a a church staff somewhere. He, He may be calling you to that specific vocation. Or he may be calling you to education or health care. He may be calling you to be a stay at home mom. But what is he? calling you to do? What does he want you to do with your life? What does he want your vocation to be? Answer that question. Ask God that question. Holy Spirit of God, would you, would you reveal to me what you want me to do? That's the first question. 
I think it's important, particularly with our young people in here, we think about college and, and career and all of that kind of stuff. We, we, we think along these criteria. What's going to earn me a good living? What's going to give me the right kind of financial benefits? Uh, what am I, you know, where, where, where it's going to put me in a place where I want to live and all these different things. And we have all these different criteria for pursuing a calling or a vocation. But listen to me. Don't you think we should stop and say, God, what do you want me to do? Would that be a good question? Not, hey, what do you want my parents, uh, what, what do my parents want me to do, or my grandparents, but what do you want me to do? When I announced to my family that I was going into the ministry to be a pastor, I had family members saying, you're crazy. I'm glad that I'm not accountable to them, amen? I'm accountable to God. And so, ask the question, what does God want me to do? Now, here's the second question, as you think about your specific assignment. This is big. Where does God want me to do it? Where does God want me to do it? So I know what he wants me to do, but where does he want me to do it? Where does he want me to live and plant my life so that I can do this thing he's calling me to do and make a difference where he has placed me to do it? And here's what I want you to grapple with this morning. Have you considered that God may want you to do what you do somewhere different than here? Have you considered that? Let me just give you kind of a personal testimony how this worked out in, in, in my life and in, in Claire's life. Claire and I grew up in the same small town in North Florida, high school sweethearts. It's a really sweet story, but I'll spare you the details right now. It goes back to when I was 10 and she was 8. We met at 4-H camp. We square danced together. But anyway, I, I'm, not going, I'm not going into that. And... And God called me to the ministry, and, and she was pursuing pharmacy. And so we found a city, Memphis, that had a seminary and a pharmacy school. And so we moved up here. And always, always we thought, okay, we go and, and pursue our education. We graduate from school, and we go back to Florida. That's just what you do. That's what my, People in my hometown didn't leave their hometown. They didn't leave. And if they did, they'd come back pretty quick. I mean, it just was unheard of somebody to, to move across the country somewhere. So we just always assumed that, hey, we, we pursue our education, we get our degrees, we go back to Florida. That's just what we were going to do. And I was finishing up uh, seminary, and, and we were thinking, okay, finish up school, go back to Florida. And then I got a call out of nowhere asking me to prayerfully consider planting a church in Hernando, Mississippi. It wasn't even on our radar screen because we always thought, hey, we know what God wants us to do, and we just assume that he wants us to do it in our hometown or close to our hometown. That was our assumption. But listen. We never ask God, where do you want us to do this? And God used that whole process to show us he wanted us in Hernando. Now that's just my own personal story. But I wonder if you've ever asked God, God, you've given me some skills, some experience, you've given me a vocation, a calling, some things I'm good at and love to do. Where do you want me to do this? Where do you want me to plant my life? So that I can obey the Great Commission. It's a big question, isn't it? Where do you want me to do what you called me to do? Because here's the deal. You may be called to be an educator. God may want you to educate overseas. Or in a city in North America with, little, with, with very little gospel work going on. I heard a story this past week from a, a member of our church, a good friend of mine. He was telling me about a school in a predominantly Muslim culture. 
And, and it's a school that is staffed by Christians. And it's a really good school. It's college preparatory. And so leaders in this Muslim country are sending their kids to Christians to get their education. Isn't that awesome? And they just are building relationships with them and living the gospel before them and having impact with the leaders of this nation and their kids. So they're teaching, they're fulfilling their vocation, but they're not doing it here. They're doing it overseas. I'm not saying God's calling everybody to go overseas, but he may be calling some. Have you asked God, where does he want you to do it? We have a a team right now in Southeast Asia. You know what they're doing? They're walking alongside the missionary, helping this missionary with some agricultural projects to make an impact in that area, to open up doors, to build relationships, to help people out. And they're over there talking about agriculture for the gospel's sake. So you may have some skills related to agriculture that you can take with you short-term, mid-term, long-term, and really make a difference. You can, God can use you to open up some doors so that you can build relationships to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know some things about agriculture. Or healthcare. We could go on and on and on. What does God want you to do? Listen, where does God want you to do it? Here's the third question. How can I leverage my life for the Great Commission? Once I know what I'm called to do, once I know where God wants me to do it, how can I then leverage my life, my background, my experience, my skill set, my situation, my opportunities? How can I leverage my life for the Great Commission? How can I make disciples effectively right where God has placed me, doing what He's called me to do? It's a great question to ask. And I don't care where you live. Ask God this question. God, right where I am. How can I leverage my life? Use what I have, what you've given me, to impact people for the gospel. Now here's the deal. This is how it's going to affect Longview Point Baptist Church. When, when church members are passionate about discovering their specific assignment, there will be continual sending and going. It's going to just keep happening. It's happening already at Longview Point, and I believe it's going to happen more and more in the coming days. I believe God's going to call some folks out of our church And we're going to consistently, I believe monthly, lay hands on folks and send them out so that they can follow God's will for their life, what God's called them to do, where he's called them to do it. They can leverage their life for the Great Commission. And we're going to be constantly sending people out as a church. And people are going to be constantly going short-term, mid-term, long-term. And that's what it's all about. That's thrilling to me. That we're consistently sending and continually going to make disciples of all the people groups on the face of the earth. And so when you begin to ask God these questions, listen, it's going to affect our church. Folks that I know and love are going to say, God is calling me to move to another area. Maybe across the ocean or to another city in North America or another area in North America to plant churches. And, and, and God's calling us to go. And, 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 and we, we would hate to lose you, but we would love to send you. We'd love to send you. It's going to affect things. I remember when I was a student pastor uh, in seminary, I was preaching about missions and talking to my student group about missions and and this one young lady in uh, our youth group, she, uh, she started investigating things, and she went and spent a summer in Manchuria, other side of the world. 
And it was just her own initiative, her own research. She got the information together. She went to Manchuria. And, and one day, she had just left, and I didn't know her parents real well. They weren't regular attenders at that time. Um, but one day, her parents came to church, and they came to me, and they were hot. And they were saying, hey, our daughter's in Manchuria, and it's your fault. And they were struggling. But I can be great friends with them, and we walked through that and worked through that. It's, it's not easy. It's hard. But we're never going to reach the world for Christ if we don't say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to do it? And how can I leverage my life to be a Great Commission Christian? We've got to all ask that question. So the first thing is, discover your specific assignment. Secondly, quickly, second thing is, make disciple makers. Find out what, you wanted, what God's called you to do. Find out where he wants you to do it. And then begin to make disciples. I shared this last week. Share Christ with folks that are lost so they can be saved. Connect with new believers or believers that are not yet connected. Help them grow into disciple makers to the point where they're reaching out to others. And then repeat. Wherever he's placed you, do that. Use your platform, your vocation. But make disciples. David Platt says, making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching people the word of Christ and then enabling them to do the same thing in other people's lives. This is the plan God has for each of us to impact nations for the glory of Christ. This plan seems so counterintuitive to our way of thinking. In a culture where bigger is always better and flashy is always more effective, Jesus beckons each of us to plainly, humbly, and quietly focus our lives on people. So if we're going to make disciples, we've got to understand the mandate, and we've got to understand the method. Make disciples wherever God's placed you to do whatever he's called you to do. But here's the third thing. There's the motive. There's the motive. And this is so important. Because if you don't have the proper motive for making disciples among all the people groups on the earth, if, if, if you do missions without the right motive, you'll grow weary and you'll quit. So what is the motivation that, that fuels and sustains mission efforts? Here it is. Ready? The glory of God. The, the, the motive that fuels and sustains mission efforts is the glory of God. Look what it says in Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Great picture of this. One of my favorite psalms. Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Watch this. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His glory, his greatness among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples, all the people groups on the earth. Why? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. So our motivation for sending and going and making disciples, leveraging our lives, our motivation is the glory of God. And when you live for the expansion of God's glory, when you want to see Him get more famous, when you want to see His renown spread, that will fuel your Great Commission efforts and it will sustain you when the going gets tough. Because when you're living for the glory of God, it's not about you anymore, is it? It's about something much bigger than you. It's about his glory. And that is the proper motivation for missions. You see, when lost people are saved, they begin to give God the glory he alone deserves. I love this quote from Matt Papa. He's a worship leader, and he wrote a book called Look and Live. He said in that book, What is the purpose of missions? 
people from every tribe, tongue, and nation surrounding the throne of God and worshiping the Lamb who was slain. That's the point of mission. The greatest motivation to share the gospel with someone today and every day, another voice around the throne, a louder song for Jesus. That will motivate you. That if I share the gospel, if I make disciples, there will be more and more people that hear the gospel and are saved and worshiping Jesus, giving him the glory that he alone deserves. And I'll tell you this, there are people that are living in predominantly Buddhist countries and Buddha doesn't deserve their glory. There are people living in predominantly Hindu countries and Krishna does not deserve glory. There are people living in predominantly Islamic nations and Muhammad does not deserve glory. There are people who are animists. They they worship the spirit world and they live in terror of the spirit world. The spirit world is not worthy of glory. There are people that live in cultures that worship their ancestors. Our ancestors are not worthy of glory. There are people in America that worship stuff. Your stuff is not worthy of glory. Can I step on toes this morning? There are people that worship football. Football is not worthy of glory. The only one that is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise is King Jesus, the one who came to this earth, died for our sins, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, and one day is coming back. He alone is worthy. And that idea fuels disciple-making, and it sustains us when the going gets tough. Because listen, the going will get tough. Every sacrifice and hardship is going to be worth it because God gets more glory. But it's going to be tough. You know, the unreached people groups live in hard-to-reach places. They're unreached for a reason. And they're hard to get to. And it's going to require hardship and sacrifice to, to, to get to them and share the gospel with them and build relationships with them. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough when we send out people that we love. There are people right now in South Asia that I love. A family of five used to be on staff here, and they're in South Asia now, and I miss them like crazy. I love them. But they're right where God wants them to be. And it's hard when you send out, and you go, and you leave the familiar, and you leave the comfortable. But it's going to have to happen if we're going to impact every people group on this earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every sacrifice and hardship is worth it because God gets more glory. Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Amen? In other words, it's going to be hard to reach the world for for Christ, for His glory, but it's going to be worth it. Every hardship, every sacrifice will be worth it because Jesus is worth it. His glory is worth it. Another voice around the throne is worth it. In the Global Impact Conference, 
we share with you that as a church we are adopting the Andaman Islands, which is this this small island chain of about 400,000 people in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's about as far away from Hernando as you can get. It really is. If you look at a globe, it's on the opposite side of the globe from where Hernando is. And it's hard to get to. I mean, we're talking about hours and hours of, of plane travel and then bus travel to get the areas we need to go. It's a tough trip. But we're adopting that island chain and we're going to work with a small group of Christians in the north part of the island that have a vision to reach the island for Christ. This island is made up of all these different people groups. And so we're going to go in and, and train these Christians and encourage these Christians and equip these Christians so that they can go to these other people groups and reach them for Christ. And here's the goal. That people who are lost and far from God, living in darkness, hear the gospel so they can worship Jesus and give him the glory he deserves. And and listen, can you imagine for a moment that you're around the throne of Jesus, worshiping with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And you bump into somebody. You say, hey, I'm so-and-so and... I lived in Hernando, Mississippi, attended Longview Point Baptist Church. They say, whoa, well, I, uh, I grew up and lived in the Andaman Islands. And I was worshiping a false god. But one day, this, this guy came into our village and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. And I was saved and started a church in my home. And more people in my village got saved. And he said that they learned how to share these things because some church from America kept sending people over there. Can you imagine how awesome it will be on that day to say, hey, that was my church! That was Longview Point! How incredible that will be that God used us in some small way so that Jesus gets more glory. Wouldn't that be incredible? When that day comes, you say, well, I want to go to the Andaman Islands. We're going to train in December. We're going to give some training. And we want to send three, maybe four teams in a year, small teams. We're going to just keep sending teams in, working with these believers, being the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ in the Andaman Islands. And we want to reach those islands for Christ. We want Jesus to get the glory he alone deserves. And that's just one small way God's using our church. But listen to me. We do a lot. I, you know, I hear people say to me... Uh, you know, Wade, you're a, a, a missions church. You, you do a lot of mission stuff. Uh, missions-minded church is the phrase you hear all the time. And, and God has blessed us. He's put together a unique group of people that have a heart for the nations. And I praise the Lord that I get a pastor a church like this. The way you give, the way you go, the way you pray for unreached peoples is, is extraordinary. And I'm so grateful that I get to lead you. But we cannot stop now. We need to do more. People are dying and going to hell. And Jesus has told us that every people group is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you and I need to live for the glory of Jesus, to be a church of kingdom advance. Here's the point, I'll be done. The point of this sermon is this, we will seek to advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth for the glory of the king. That's what we want to be about. We want to we advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth for the glory of the king. Not for our glory, but for his glory. That's why we want to be a church of kingdom advance.